It's good to be back here with you this morning. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Um, this is a, a fellowship that's in transition uh, between uh, teaching pastors, uh, but don't think that this fellowship lacks leadership. There's very strong leadership here. And I would say uh, just congratulations to the men and women who have kept this together nearly seamlessly. Uh, I saw Scott in McAllister, by the way, uh, recently. So let's, uh, let's do a bit of a summary of Romans 12, verses 1. Um, Paul is writing to the Jewish people, the Hebrews, that are in Rome. Rome was controlled by non-Jews. Rome, Rome was the epicenter of the Western universe at, at that point. There was certainly the uh, Oriental world that knew very little of Rome, although the Silk Road connected the two. Are you with me? But it was still new and, and full of thieves, and so not often traveled except by what might be considered pirates even. And the Roman world knew little of the Oriental world. Uh, now we're connected, Occidental and or Oriental, we're connect connected by the Internet very, very easily. But a summary of what was going on in Rome, these Jewish people were there. They were with, you remember that Peter went to Rome, Paul went to the other outer parts, right? Paul went to the Gentiles. Peter went to Rome. James and John were there, and it became an epicenter for modern Christianity. The Jewish people got really confused because they had all these letters. They didn't know what was the truth. They were hearing rumors. We didn't, again, we didn't have telephone lines in those days. And you think we have charlatans now. They had charlatans then who were profiting off of what could. So Paul writes a very strong letter to them. He reminds them of, of and creates for them, if you will, a simple set of doctrine, Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Then he speaks directly to them, chapter 9, 10, and 11. And in, in chapter 12, he begins to start a whole new direction in chapter 12. So if you can know that right there, you could pass uh, basic New Testament theology at Bible school. So if you all write me about $10,000 check for that, because at the end of the day, that's about what I learned from my Romans class. Doug, right? Yeah, that's about it. It gets real practical. You all know your heritage. You don't know mine much. You just know I appeared on the scene married to Susie McIntyre about eight years ago. So I'll bet you all know this verse in the King James English. So I thought I'd read from the King James English because it might sound familiar to some of you even though it should be considered a foreign language. Agreed? I certainly don't speak like that today. <clears throat> this Bible, right here, with a lock of hair in it from someone unknown, is the property of William Thomas Eaton, Elkton, Virginia, who was married to Loris B. Hensley, Elkton, Virginia in 1885. I turn the page. William Thomas Eaton, born March 4th, 1864, who was the father of Cybert 
Samuel Eaton, born in 1888, who was the father of Alex Thomas Eaton, born in 1921, who was the father of Mark Thomas Eaton, born in 1956. So this is my second great-grandfather's Bible. And uh, some of your families go back five or six decades, five or six generations here. My family goes back five or six generations here. This is pretty valuable to me, right? I can't understand it. It's King James English. I spoke King James when I was a younger man. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Do you know it? I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service. I can remember my Bible school teacher, John J. Mitchell. He'd say, don't you read your Bibles from Scotland. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He would read it. We have it in a little different version, in a new international version. I read it to you out of the King James because I particularly like that word service. In the New International Version, for reasons that I understand, but we don't have time for today, they translate that same Greek word, worship. And I want to talk a little bit about that today in following up. So this will seem a whole lot like uh, maybe a, a Bible teaching. Imagine that from the pulpit. But first, uh, I, I want to review last week. We had this idea of coming to God with our bull, our goat, our our sheep, our lamb, our dove, our turtle dove, our, our pigeon, our grain, our bread, whatever it was for that particular season. And we had the idea of offering that to a priest who intermediaried our gift to the altar. We were disengaged. We could give our gift, walk away. It was somehow blemished. We walked away a little faster. We didn't have to engage with the gift or engage with God. The priest did that for us. Now you know everything you need to know about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, except for Genesis. But that was Bible school lesson in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers right there. The New Testament calls us, as you recall from last week, to when we offer our gift, we have God saying, hey, come on up, I want you. And that's what scares us. Remember, he wants, I'd rather just give my gift. Can I just go to church on Sunday and give my $50 a week? And, and can I just do a few good deeds? And can I just be a good guy? And God says, yeah, you can be all those things, but climb up here on the altar and be all those things. Now, that example is metaphorical so that the Jewish people in Rome could understand what he's about to say. Because we know that the Spirit of God used to live in the temple, right? Where we made our sacrifices. But where does the Spirit of God live now? Watch my hand motions. Where's the temple of God now? Is the church this building or is it the people? So could it be possible that Monday morning at breakfast I was having church at the truck stop? Unless I'm not a living sacrifice. Sunday, okay, good, thank you, pastor. 
Gotta go. But if I'm a living sacrifice, then breakfast Monday is a good thing to do. And I'm going to equate that with the idea of worship here in a minute. But Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 are strangely difficult for Jewish people to get. And strangely difficult for, for modern-day evangelical fundamental Christians to understand, particularly parts of Romans chapter 9. But basically what he's telling Israel is, I should kick you out. I should cut you off. You've prostituted yourself. There are other people now who have taken up the banner who aren't even Jewish. So if you want what you deserve, that's what you should get. And then we have this great passage that says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, I want to tell you a quick story. I'm not sure I should have done this, but I did it anyway. Can we have that goofy picture of me with my Japanese exchange father? This man you're going to... Nope, not the, ne the next one, please. Oh, I'm going to come to that one. I'm going to come to that one. Yeah, that was my Japanese exchange father there. <laughs> this man on my left is Toshio Kano. Toshio Kano was my Japanese exchange father. He was a very, very kind Buddhist man to me. And he showed me around Japan on weekends, and uh, I really fell in love with that man. I called him a year or so ago, and through my broken Japanese, had a really sweet conversation with him. He's in his 90s now. That is a 16-year-old Mark Eaton right there, who would wake up in the morning, eat, uh, or wake up in the morning, go do judo, come back and eat, uh, go do something I think was called school, go do judo, eat, and go to sleep. Repeat, repeat, repeat for about four, 300 days. That was me. Okay, the next picture, you've already seen it. This was me, and that's some poor Japanese student who, uh, if you can't tell what's happening there, he's about to pass out. And this was in 1970. Two or three, I'm not sure. Uh, it was before MMA. Um, so that steely calm face belies the killer tiger below. Okay, let's cut those off and I'll tell my story. Okay, we could get rid of the picture. I'll tell my story. So in judo practice one day, it was the sort of unspoken rule that the senior ranking uh, players uh, coach practice. It turned out during senior testing one day in the spring, I turned out to be the senior ranking player. I, I can't understand it. I was an EQ. That put me at the senior ranking player. So I put, I put all, the, all the kids through the drills. We loaded and unloaded. We did our, our different drills. We worked with each other. Now it's time for Randori. Randori is practice. Randori is when you Practice your drills. And I told them what I wanted them to practice, and I wanted them to drill this stuff, do actual throws, so on and so forth. It was absolute hoot. I loved coaching the class as a 16-year-old. But then we opened it up to open Randori. Probably my idea. All the seniors were gone. All the juniors were gone doing other things, because now the seniors are out. So they just so it's me and the sophomores and freshmen and eighth graders. I had a blast. You think I'm going that way? Well, go the other way. You like that? We'll trip you. 
I know it's silly, isn't it? <laughs> Standing in the corner, about like this, appears our 250-pound, 5'5", 5th-degree Shodan black belt sensei. Just standing there. And I'm just busy. Okay, next. Who's next? This is fun. I'm just thrashing on the younger players. I am having a hoot being the man. Until I notice the sensei. And then it's like, ooh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. He says, oh, yeah, Marcuson. He disappeared for about 10 minutes. I went on coaching my class. He came back out in his judo gi, wearing his black belt. He came up to me during the next randori. He bowed to me, which means it's you and I. I don't remember any other judo players coming out on the, on the mat that time. All I remember is he and I. And he'd yank on me. He'd, he'd pull on my gi. He'd pull me this way, pull me this way. He could, he could just have his way with me. But he never threw me. And eventually he said, try Taiotoshi. So I tried a Taiotoshi and he, he didn't fall. He told me, try it again. Tried Taiotoshi and he went over that time. He gave me a little instruction. Taiotoshi, more pull, more pull. Taiotoshi, he went over that time. Then we started to move a little more aggressive. And he'd say, pull me. Pull me. So I'd take him. Then he'd say, pull me again. He had me throw him until I was nearly exhausted. He'd get up, tuck his gi in, bow, and we'd go again. Do you understand what's happening here? Do you understand the connection between this verse yet? This man could have destroyed me. Are you with me? But he didn't. In fact, he was very, he should have taken me out and whooped my rear. But instead, he came out and he served me and let me throw him. He let me throw him again until I was so self-conscious about it. I didn't want to. I never wanted to. I don't know. I was probably nearly in tears when it was done. The lesson was so well ingrained in him. If you are in the power position, use that power to serve, not to dominate. Did you catch the point? If you are in the power position, use that power to not dominate. Parents, grandparents, teachers. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I should destroy you. I should cut you out. But yet I've grafted you in. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I didn't do those things. Therefore, in view of the mercies I had on you. Are you with me yet? Therefore, in view of God's mercies. This sensei was incredibly merciful on me. Never said a word of correction at all. He bowed and he left the gym and I continued with practice. But I learned my lesson. And I learned it because it was modeled. And one of the problems the world has today, folks, with Christianity is that we use our dominant position often to dominate. We use our dominant position often to dominate. And the lesson here is I could 
dominate you, but I don't. And in view of that, offer yourself a living sacrifice. But if I put myself on the altar, you might kill me. I'm not interested in killing you. I could have earlier. I'm not interested in killing you, metaphorically. I want you to be a living sacrifice. Folks, we have a duality in our Christianity today, and we've always had it, that says certain activities are spiritual and certain aren't. And it's a Christian schizophrenia that makes that we all know is there, and I think it makes us uncomfortable. We say things like, and I've had pastors, prayer is spiritual. And bowing your head and closing your eyes is spiritual. Bible reading is spiritual. Going to church is spiritual. There are certain things that that we have, a certain list of things that we have that are spiritual activities. And I want to tell you that's wrong-headed thinking. And that's what one of the things that Paul is addressing right here in Romans chapter 12. It is a spiritual act of service to offer your dove. But if you read the text, I'm going to tell you right now, Paul says, no, it's a spiritual act of service to offer yourself. That's spiritual. Monday morning, going to work is a spiritual activity. Playing after-school sports is a spiritual activity. Practicing music is a spiritual activity before you actually do the spiritual activity. There is no difference. Sitting there listening is a spiritual activity. This is a spiritual activity. Bible reading may or may not be a spiritual activity because I know there are many this morning who have read and studied the Bible not so that they can present a God to you who is loving and gracious, but so they can look smart and get the affirmation they've always longed for or to maintain the power position is that they've always wanted. So even though it looks spiritual, oh, you should have heard my great-great-uncle Cardinus on my mother's side. Should have heard him pray. He had the memorized mantras, dear, gracious, heavenly Father. And then he'd link another mantra together about the hands that prepared it. And then he'd link another mantra together. And he linked all the memorized mantras together. And at the end he said, Amen. Is that really a spiritual activity? I think it's more like a poem that makes us feel good. But the little girl who stands up and sings at dinner time and is waiting for the uh, uh, parents to approve her, we don't see that as a spiritual activity. But that girl is standing up trusting and open and willing. And she wants and she's engaged and she's involved. She's living. She's hopeful. She's dynamic. She's giving something. But we don't see what she did as a spiritual activity. Folks, I want to tell you, it's all spiritual activity. Whether you give $1 or $50. At work on Wednesday, at work on Friday, at the ball game, it's all a spiritual activity. If we're a believer, it's all a spiritual activity. And please do not mishear me. This does not mean we need to go obey or go behave. This is not an exhortation to feel guilty on Tuesday afternoon. 
So it's not an exhortation to say, uh-oh, God's watching me. I got God is watching you whether you think he's watching you or not. He is with you. He is inside of you. So when folks, when we say we invite God to come into this place, I get it. But by the way, he's already here. We don't need to invite him anywhere. He probably beat us there. Because he's here. We don't need to say where there's two or three together. Now we're having church. You're having church whenever you're on the altar. We're having church 24-7. Constantly. Folks, this idea of pray without ceasing suddenly makes sense when we think of this idea of living altar, doesn't it? Because we think, okay, I'm going to go to my prayer time. Well, what have you been doing the other 23 hours of the day? Well, prayer is a spiritual activity. No more than brushing your teeth. And I mean it. You got it? No more than working cattle. Well, prayer is talking to God. Well, how come you haven't been talking to God? Well, I need to do this. No, you don't. Living sacrifice. Pray without ceasing. You get it? And people, what I, what I want you to do with this, with all my heart, you may be, because we are in the Bible Belt, don't look now, but you may be conditioned to feel bad. This is another burden. i got to do more now. This, this, if you will look at it, is permission to be free. Free yourself up. Go live your lives in worship to God. And when you make a mistake, make a mistake. No, now I'm talking to God. Now I'm not. Where does God live? Here. God hears everything we're saying. We're always talking to God. This morning, or yesterday, Susie and, I, Susie and I had a great conversation. And it was a conversation that God was all in. We were both aware that God, God's talking, we're talking. This is a big conversation going on here. As we wonder about each other's hearts, and it was worship every bit as much as the singing we do earlier. But it's so, it's so convenient to just say, now I'm worshiping, okay, now it's over, and I leave. I don't know if you were worshiping. You may have been hoping somebody saw you with your hands up. You may be singing the words, but you're really crying on the inside because this was sang, sung at your mom's funeral. And so we think you're worshiping, but you're really mourning. And I want to tell you, it's all worship before, during, after. Be freed, high school kids. You don't have to get up at five and read your Bible for three hours to worship God. You do not. Get up in the morning, let your feet hit the floor and say, good morning, Lord, it's you and me. Let's go. Lord, I got lots to do today. Yeah, you do. Let's brush your teeth first. We don't want to kill anybody. I know it. Plus, I want to have my teeth, because if I don't have my teeth, now I need to eat a certain kind of food. And then once I start eating those kind of food, my health starts to go down. Then I start getting diabetes, and then my mouth hurts, and then my legs swell, and I live 20 years shorter than I would have lived. Brushing your teeth is a spiritual activity. We have this idea, and this will, I'm coming close to the end of this thing. We have the idea that we have physical activity. You already know where I'm going. Emotional side. 
then we have the God side, and then we have our intellectual side, and then we have this side. And we have this idea that we're sort of disconnected robots that now we're functioning on the hard drive, now we're functioning on the RAM, now we're functioning over here in this particular section. And humans aren't that way. We certainly have chores that are more intellectual than they are emotional, but have you ever been a sixth grader trying to solve for X and Y? That becomes an emotional situation very quickly, doesn't it? Because we begin to panic. I don't get it. And then the voices come in. But it was, it's just math. It's intellectual. Well, now suddenly it's, it's emotional, isn't it? And then shame starts kicking in. You never get this stuff. You're kind of slow. You're behind. And then all these, because we're not segmented, compartmentalized people. We are humans. And singing is a physical activity, am I right? It's an intellectual activity, am I right? We read the words. It's a physical activity. We stand up, we sit down. We're too tired to stand up, so we sit down. It's an emotional activity. Everybody's standing, should I sit? I'll feel embarrassed if I sit when everybody's standing. Everybody's sitting, should I stand? And it's an emotional activity. It's an act of rationale, thinking. It's an act of volition, choice. Everything ties in to everything. We don't have this disconnect of what's Christian and what's not, what's godly, what's not. Folks, if we're a living sacrifice. So if you're going to bring your pigeon and your dove, just jump up on the altar and be free of the fear. Go live your life. Go do it well. Go do judo in light of God's mercies. Do judo as a living sacrifice and don't beat up the younger kids. But you don't have to write that rule when you understand this idea of a living sacrifice. Because we, nobody said, I couldn't do it. When we brought our offering, we brought a dove, and nobody said, I couldn't do it, following the rules. But when we're a living sacrifice, the rules are really simple, really simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Over, done. Go do that. Go do that. Just that. Go do that. Love God. Love your neighbor. Now you're a living sacrifice. And that, according to Romans 1, is worship. Because service is worship. And that's where the King James was more right. Service is worship. And I'm not talking about good deeds. I'm talking about when you serve. When you brush your teeth, that's service. When you eat, that's service. When you go to work, that's service. When you paint the widow's house, that's service. Paint your own house, that's service. Living sacrifice. And that is worship. Last example. Do you think Adam worshiped God? Adam's job was two things. Name the animals. But, I mean, God made them. Adam named it. So partner with me, Adam, on this. Partner with me. And the second job Adam had was So if you want the first two commandments in the Bible, here they are. Name the animals, partner with me. That's your first commandment. The second one is manage the garden. Go to work. And it is good. It's very good. Do you get it? Stop trying to do a Christian and just be a Christian. This is philosophical. This is for junior high kids. Junior high kids need a list of rules. Some of you might be emotionally junior high and trying to figure out, so can I play cards? That's junior high stuff. Well, can we dance? That's junior high stuff. 
But this message is for adults who have some higher level critical thinking and who can understand metaphor and analogy. And if you can't, that leaves about a third of the Bible unavailable to you because about a third of the Bible is metaphor and analogy. Poetry, narrative, very few of it, explicit directions. I've spoke long enough. God has no reason to be merciful to us, folks. No reason at all. None of us can live up to anything. None of us can love perfectly. But yet, He invites us into relationship. And He invites us to live with Him, not just as, here's my offering and then go away, but He invites us to offer our whole selves to Him, and He'll take it. And we're so afraid He's going to destroy us, and He doesn't destroy us. Let's go manage the garden garden together. Let's go name a few animals together. Let's go change some tires together. Let's go teach some classes together. Let's have dinner together. Let's watch a movie together. God loves you. He enjoys you. As much as you enjoy your grandkids, God the Father in heaven enjoys you. Get over yourself. As much as you enjoy your grandkids and your children, God the Father enjoys you. Father, thanks for this message. Lord, I'd, I'd like to be able to live this message in front of my wife and my children and my friends this week. Father, continue, please, to make me aware of what it means to be a living sacrifice and to offer all of me to you in the freedom that comes with that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're dismissed. Brian's going to kick the music. Hang out as long as you want. And uh, we'll see you uh, next week. Who's on next week, Clay? James. James Crossan. Thanks for being here. <laughs>